0: Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you are here with us today. We are thankful for those who are joining us online. If you have a Bible, you might be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So for several weeks now, we've been in this uh, series of lessons entitled Messy Church, where we're looking at this letter to the church in Corinth. And one of the things I hope that you do um, with these lessons is that you'll go home and you'll read these chapters because what, what I hope to do in these messages is kind of give you a framework for, for looking at each chapter. I'm not going to cover everything in each chapter. I'm not going to go over every verse, but uh, hopefully you, you get a framework there that you can go home, you can read it yourself, and you can see the, the, the message, the point of each chapter. And so as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, what, what we find here is a continuation of some of the discussions that uh, have, were begun earlier in the letter. And so in this chapter, we find more comments regarding uh, meat sacrifice to idols. And Paul warns the Corinthians against getting mixed up with idolatry. And he talks about knowledge like he did earlier. So even if a person has the right knowledge concerning idolatry, uh, you still have to understand it's a force to be reckoned with. And the instructions he gives here relates to temptation. And it's in this chapter that we find these words, "'No temptation has overtaken you "'that is not common to man. "'God is faithful, and he will not let you "'be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And the point of this passage is not that God will prevent us from being tempted, but that he will provide a means of escape that we ourselves have to choose. We have to understand that that these instructions here come in the context of Paul reminding the Corinthians of the Israelites in the wilderness. And they received all of God's blessings, but they still grumbled. And they gave in to temptation. And they indulged in idolatry. The Corinthians believed that knowledge would keep them from idolatry. But Paul warns them that this is not the case. A person can know what is right and still do wrong. And so knowledge itself does not prevent idolatry. It does not keep us from giving in to temptation. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we are strong. We can fool ourselves into thinking, well, you know what, that would never happen to me. I would never do such a thing. And we need to remember Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we need to understand that any one of us can fall victim to temptation. And it can happen at any time. And it's not so much about what we know but it's more about what is in our hearts. We are what we love. And if we have made the object of our desire ourselves, or sexual pleasure, or power, or prestige, or anything other than God, then we're going to fall to temptation. And so we need to direct our hearts and our desires toward God because that is how we overcome temptation. It's not by knowing, it's by loving. Loving God and loving others. Augustine put it this way, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so again, if we want to overcome temptation, our hearts need to rest in God. That's the first part of 1 Corinthians 10. But one of the things that we need to look for in these discussions or in these chapters is a summation of everything. You know, We we need to ask ourselves, what's the point? What what are we to take away from this? And we find such a summation at the very end of chapter 10, where, where Paul's gone on for several chapters now discussing this problem of meat sacrifice to idols. And he finally sums it all up and he writes, so whether... You eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And what is said here in regards to meat sacrifice to idols is not something unique. Because we find similar instructions in other parts of Scripture. What is said here is the heart of the gospel. It is, as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, having the mind of Christ. And so compare what he says here, I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, with what he writes in Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. And then from there, Paul goes on to describe the life of Jesus that we are to follow. We could also compare um, what we find here at the end of 1 Corinthians 10 with the call to discipleship, where we're told to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. And it's not that Paul is writing a bunch of different commands on a bunch of different subjects. What he's doing is is he is taking one command and he's applying it to various situations. Do you have the mind of Christ when you're considering what type of meat to buy at the market? Do you have the mind of Christ when you're dealing with with disagreement in life or disagreement in the church? Do you have the mind of Christ as you go about your life? Are you living like Jesus? Is your life being transformed to look like His? Have you embraced His ways? Are you trying to live His ways each and every day? the instructions regarding meat sacrifice to idols are still applicable today because at their core they're really all about following Jesus and we're to take this principle and we're to apply it to modern problems and modern situations and we are to ask ourselves am i thinking Like Jesus? Am I seeking my advantage or someone else's? Have I chosen the way of Jesus, the way of the cross? And to help us live this kind of life, what we need is examples. And Paul understands this, and this is why he writes Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And this is the summation of of it all. And the Greek word for, for imitators here is where we get our English word, mimic. And Paul is literally saying, mimic me as I mimic Jesus. And I want us to pause for a moment and explore a question. And it's this question, why are you a Christian? And I'm not talking about um, intellectual or philosophical reasons why you're a Christian. Those are beneficial. But I want to know what happened in your journey that led you to become a Christian and has led you to stay a Christian. And my guess is that it wasn't some book you read or a class that you attended, but it was a person who you encountered. You came into contact with someone who is following Jesus and they changed the trajectory of your life. They had an impact on you and this led you to become a Jesus follower also. Because this is how it happens in most people's lives. I can tell you about my journey. I can tell you about my my Christian mother who made sure my brother and I were at church every time the doors were open. And it was not easy. She was often by herself. And and I know this is really hard to believe, but my brother and I were not always well-behaved. And so some of my earliest memories are taking that walk of shame to the back of the building because we were going to get disciplined by my mother. And I I knew if we were walking to the back, it wasn't going to be a talking or anything else. Uh, You know, we were going to get spanked. But, um, you know, it would have been easier to stay at home. But she didn't. She made sure that we were in church And that we were formed by those songs that we were singing and the Bible classes that we attended and the sermons that we heard. And our lives revolved around church. And it did not matter if there were ball games or homework or something else that we wanted to do. We were going to be in that church building. And my mother showed us what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God. And it wasn't only taking us to church, that was just part of it, but it was living it out in her life. And so she was someone um, who put others before herself. You know, I had a grandfather and grandmother who were devoted to church work. My grandfather was an elder. My grandmother taught Sunday school, and they had a tremendous influence on my life. My grandfather used to write me letters that were three, four, five pages long about what it means to be a Christian man. My grandmother instilled a faith in me from an early age, and so our conversations uh, were about Jesus. And and still to this day, I I talk to her about faith and religious matters um, probably at least once a week, and she's still influencing me Because early in life, she was purposeful about making Jesus the center of our relationship. When I was at Oklahoma State, they they still had a professor of Bible on campus. It's hard to believe for a state university, but they did. And uh, his name was Dr. Michael Thompson. He was a great man of faith, and I was his teaching assistant for several years And in his upper-level classes, he would give students the option, you could either have a written final or an oral final. And if you chose the oral final, you would meet with him at the coffee shop for one hour. And he would ask you about various things from the class. He would ask you about the subject matter to make sure that you knew and you paid attention and all those things. But he would also ask you about you. And he invested in his students. And I remember he, he once drove over an hour to hear me preach one Sunday morning. And that made an, influ- uh, that made an impact on me and he, he influenced my life in a positive way. You know, about nine years ago, I was invited by Jim Martin to be a part of one of his mentor groups. And so once a month, I would uh, travel from here to Waco and spend a day at Jim's house. And there were seven ministers in that group, and Jim would spend time just telling us about ministry and how to take care of ourselves and how to take care of our families, and and he would answer any questions that we might have. And we ate lunch together, and we laughed together, and it was a wonderful time. And we did this for a year, but that was not the end of our relationship. Jim still regularly calls me, he texts me, he checks in from time to time, And if we're at a conference together or somewhere else together, he makes time for us to go and either have a cup of coffee or go have lunch or dinner or something like that. And I could go on and on and talk about other people and other stories in my life. And I know there are many people here this morning that could do the same. You have stories of your own. It's why you are here today. And so when I ask, why are you a Christian? You may immediately think of someone or several people who were instrumental in your life. People who lived out their faith in front of you. People who invested in you and took the time to get to know you. And this is Christianity. This is what Paul is describing at the very beginning of chapter 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Christianity is incarnational. I know that incarnation is this big, fancy word that we sometimes use around Christmas time. It, It literally means that God became flesh it's related to other words that we sometimes use. You, you, you go to the Mexican restaurant, you order carne casada, or we talk about being carnivores, which these words are used for meat. Flesh. Jesus became one of us. He had a body. He was flesh and bones. This is incarnation. So what does it mean to be incarnational? It means to be Christian is not just about what we believe. Our religion is not simply intellectual. It's not simply in our heads. Christianity is something that we live out in the midst of others. And so our faith needs to have flesh and bone. And we are to mimic Jesus so that others might mimic us. And we do this because it might be the only way that some people see Jesus. We do it because some need to learn what it means to follow Jesus, they need an example. We do it because young people must see what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. You know, it's one thing to say, go read your Bible. I don't want to minimize that in any way. That's an important aspect of our faith. But it's another thing to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. And we need these examples. Our young people need these examples. They need to see people living out the Jesus life right in front of them. And if they don't have that... And there's a good chance that they're not going to become a Christian or they're not going to remain Christians. And so we must meditate on these words. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Because Paul is describing something that is essential to the Christian faith. Without it, churches will die. Without it, Christianity will decline. We are to live out our faith in community for others to see. We are to disciple and to mentor others. You know, one of the big differences between modern Christianity in the West and ancient Christianity is that ancient Christians spent time together. They did not just come together for one hour of worship and then all go their separate ways. They broke bread together. They were in one another's homes. They did life together. And and that's a different way of doing Christianity. We cannot fulfill this verse if we only see one another for one hour a week. We will not adequately disciple the next generation if all they see us do is worship for one hour a week. And so if we truly care about the future of Christianity, if we want to make this country and this world a better place, then we will commit to living out what Paul is describing. We will invest in our young people so they know more than just our names. We will get to know our neighbors and invite them to our tables. We will spend time with our church family so we can learn from them and they can learn from us. And we will strive to live like Jesus in the midst of others so people will learn to follow him just as we have done. You know, we live in this world that is searching for answers. It's not just the world that's searching for answers, it's Christians who are searching for answers, and it's churches who are searching for answers, and they're just asking, you know, what are we to do? Christianity is declining, how do we address this, you know, what's going on? And I want to suggest that it's, it's not rocket science. There's not some magic pill that's going to make everything better. Now, that's what we want, We want something easy. We want the results without any of the work. We want the blessings without any of the mess of relationships and community. It's not rocket science. But it does require commitment. It is slowing down and having our priorities right. It is incarnational living. It's living like Jesus so that others will live like Jesus. It's taking the time to break bread together. It's bringing the kids to worship even when it's difficult. It's showing up and being a part of someone else's life. It's conversations around meals and cups of coffee. It's serving together. It's doing life together. It is caring and showing others what it means to be a Jesus follower. It's imitating what we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's being like that man that we see each week in the chosen. And it's interacting with others in the same way that he interacts with his disciples. And this is what church is. And so I need to ask myself, does my life look like that? Am I doing the things that he did? The answer is simple. Mimic Jesus in the presence of others so that they might do the same. That's it. Now that we know We must go and do. We must give our faith some flesh and live like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne. We thank you for your presence here with us today. We're so grateful for your Son who did take on flesh and come to this earth and live among us and show us how to live. And I pray that all of us this morning would give our faith some flesh. That we would live like Jesus in the midst of others. That we would commit to being countercultural, and commit to living in community and to blessing one another by being present, by being with people through conversations, through all these ways that we read about in Scripture. We're grateful that Jesus has forgiven us our sins because we're not perfect. We live messy lives. And Father, we're so glad that you're willing to be in the middle of that mess and that you've come to save and redeem us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.